I said. But today we're speaking about the tension between confidence and humility. Confidence and humility. Uh, if we could stand for the reading of the word, not because we have to, but just because it's a nice tradition. There's some traditions that are good. This is a good way to respect the word of God and just to, you know, we don't have to do it, but it's, it's a nice thing to do. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, we're going to start in. If you have your Bibles and you can go there, say amen when you get there. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. Should have that up on the board soon. Praise the Lord. We're starting to warm up now. Starting to head into summer. Looks like there's more of you here on the on the early service, which is means it's not so cold, not so hard to get out of bed. First Samuel 17, verse 32, it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. Say, thou art but a youth. So he's a young man. He was a young fellow. And he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard or by his mane and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Go, and the Lord be with thee. You may be seated. Well, Pastor Stan and Sister Robin are overseas. Um, please keep them in your prayers as they... Uh, are in Europe, um, keep praying for them. And as we said, we're continuing with this tension series, which I'm really enjoying. Who's enjoying this series? Yeah, understanding that there's things, these things that seem like opposites, but are necessary together. In uh, science, you call it a dichotomy, where two opposites exist within the same system and uh, need to be there for balance to occur. And so, as we said this week, we're focusing on confidence and humility. Two things that seem like opposites, but are in fact two qualities that are interdependent. Say interdependent. That means they depend on one another. Again, one of those paradoxes that we see so often in Christianity. But need to exist or coexist in the attitude and life of a Christian. And I take my, the title of my ser uh, sermon this morning from verse 32 of the passage that we just read, where he said, where David said that he would go and fight. But it says, Thy servant will go and fight in verse 32 of that same passage. And David was confident in his God. Say he was confident. He was confident in his God-given abilities. And you notice that when he went up against Goliath, what did Goliath have? He had a sword and he had a shield. But David didn't need that. David knew not to get into a fight with Goliath with what he was good at. He knew what his strengths were and he knew what Goliath's strengths were. And he knew not to get drawn into a, a battle uh, 
on Goliath's own play, on terms, his own playing field. He knew not to get into where Goliath's strengths were, but he knew to focus on his own strengths. He knew what abilities God had given him. He knew what strengths God had given him. He knew what he was good at and what Goliath was good at. And he didn't try to get into a sword battle with Goliath. He didn't try to wrestle this giant hand to hand. He knew what he was good at. He picked up five stones. He picked up five stones. Goliath was proud and arrogant. But David held the balance of confidence and humility. David was confident because he had an experience with God. He had an experience with God. He had been through things earlier and God had helped him. He had a testimony. Say, I have a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, you need to get one. Amen? You need to have a testimony. You need to have an experience with God that you know God was with you, that you know God personally stepped into your situation and brought about a victory for you. God had helped David to defeat the lion and the bear. It gave him confidence in his God-given abilities. God had given him abilities and God has given each and every one of us ability. He's given us something that we're good at, something that we can do. Not, we might not be the best in the world at it, but we're able to do it. We're able to do it. And he's given each and every one of us something that we can do, something that we have to offer for the glory of his kingdom, for use in his purpose. He was confident in God and confident in what he could do and what God could do in him. In 1 Samuel 17, 26 to 28, so same chapter that we read, but earlier on it said, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered after him and saying, so shall it be done to the man that kills him. And Eliab, so he was, he was saying just in the verse before this, I think in verse 26, uh, 25, sorry, it says that the man who defeats Goliath, you know, he'll get to marry the king's daughter, he'll get all these riches, you know, he'll get all this uh, reward. And David's like, well, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. But funnily enough, the, the woman, and we all know that, just, sorry, spoiler alert, I'm going to get there, David does kill Goliath. And he gets, he gets to marry the daughter of Saul, he gets to marry Michael. But funnily enough, Michael doesn't end up being a very nice wife in the end anyway. And uh, mocks him when he worships God on the return of the ark. And, you know, and David didn't have much to do with her after that. But then reading on we see, And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, that's David, spoke unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Who knows, maybe he was jealous, maybe he was thinking, who's this, my little brother, who does he think he is? And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with, well, he actually, he came to bring cheese for you and uh, your brothers and bread as well so he was being a nice guy and now you're saying why are you coming down here where's the uh, gratitude there's no gratitude Eliab and he said and with whom hast thou those few sheep in the wilderness so why aren't you looking after the sheep why you know why are you down here for I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So he's just like thinking, oh, you're just a sticky beak. You're just coming down here, young kid, young upstart, coming down here to see the fight. Well, no fight's taking place because everyone's standing around scared of Goliath. And he just thinks he's, he's proud, he's naughty. He's a naughty kid. And sometimes we confuse confidence for pride. 
quite often we confuse confidence for pride. And in Australia, we have a culture that we call the tall poppy syndrome. As soon as someone starts getting a bit successful, we love to cut them down. We love to bring them back. Hey, you come back down here to where I am, the way I feel. I feel bad about myself and you should too. So come back down here. And we so often confuse confidence for pride or success for arrogance. But David simply saw a job that needed doing and thought he could do it. And David's eldest brother, Eliab, was perhaps jealous of David's confidence. Motivation. Say motivation. Say motive. That's the key to a good attitude. David wasn't just there to have a sticky beak, just to come down and show how good he was or talk himself up. David was there because he saw a need. He saw a cause. He saw that this man was defying, this man, this giant Goliath, was defying the armies of the Most High God. And he saw that there was a cause. He saw that there was a cause in the land of Israel. And he chose to take up that cause. David must have been used to his older brothers trying to put him back in his place because he just ignored what Eliab had said and he got on with what needed to be done. Amen? Sometimes people try to speak to us and affect our attitude and affect the way that we may think about ourselves, but we need to continue to take up the cause no matter what, no matter what people say. Amen? Jesus did not need Jesus did not need to display his abilities or his power inappropriately. There's so much that Jesus could have done that he chose not to do just because of what others had said. He didn't jump from the temple just because Satan told him to. He didn't turn the bread into stone just because he could. He did not call down lightning from heaven upon those that were doing works in his name that the apostles didn't know even though they asked him. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Say no reputation. So much of our life, so much of our society and our culture and our subcultures and all these social stratas that we have and social hierarchies, they're determined by reputation. You know, what type of reputation you have. On the streets, it was like all about your rep. You know, it's all about what kind of rep do they have? Do they have a bad rep? On the streets, having a bad rep is probably a good thing. But sometimes within business, within your professional life, it's all about having a good reputation, obviously. And it's not bad to have a good reputation. Don't get me wrong. We shouldn't be about, you know, trying to ruin our reputation I'll make sure I do a bad job today so I don't get a good reputation. No. I'll make sure I turn up to work late every day so I get a bad reputation. No, this was talking about not having... Jesus didn't make himself of a bad reputation. He made himself of no reputation. No reputation. That means he didn't consider his reputation to be the most important thing. He knew that his purpose came before his reputation. Amen? He made himself of no reputation. In business, we might get a good reputation as being a tough negotiator. In certain cultures, your reputation depends on who your parents were, what your lineage was, where you came from, what class of society or caste of society you were born into may determine your reputation. In general society today, in our modern society, it may depend on how much you own or how much you have. In social media, it may depend on how many followers, followers you have, how much influence you have. In church, even, we can start to build a reputation that we can become obsessed with, that we can start to put too much dependency on. People may worry about 
you know, how good a musician they are, how people think of them as a singer or as a preacher or as whatever ministry they're in. I hope people think I'm the best usher there is. And that's good to be the best usher that you can be. But don't make yourself of any reputation, amen? Don't worry about what others think or don't think when it comes to doing what you need to do in his kingdom. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He forgave. He forgave instead of punishing those that mocked him on the cross, that put him on the cross. He could have done all sorts of things. He had power within his hands to destroy those that put him on the cross, to destroy those that mocked him, but he chose to forgive. That is meekness. That is meekness. That is humility. Being able, it's like having a gun in your hand and somebody's hitting you with a hammer, but you don't shoot them. You have all the power available to you, but you choose not to use it against them. Instead, you choose to be forgiving. You choose to love instead of seek revenge. He submitted, Jesus submitted his will to the will of his Father, to the will of the Father that was in him. That's submission. That's humility. What does humility look like? What does being humble look like? As soon as you say, it almost seems that as soon as you can admit to yourself that you're humble, you've lost it. As soon as you say, well, I'm the most humble person there is, well, obviously you're not. As soon as you try to grasp humility or, or say that that's something that you have, it's almost as though you've become arrogant by doing so. But what does humility look like? Humility is about being honest. It's about being honest about who you are. It's about being honest just generally. It's being able to admit to your mistakes, to your shortcomings, to what you're not good at. But also humility is about admitting what you are good at. Admitting what are your strengths. Humility is about taking responsibility for your actions. Being able to take responsibility for your actions. Humility is to prefer others to yourself. Letting others go first. Letting others have the limelight. Letting others have the spotlight on them and get all the accolades. That you're not craving that. If you get it, well, that's nice. Nothing wrong with, you know, getting a pat on the back every now and then and getting some nice words said about you. But if that's all you're after, then you're going to be a greatly disappointed person. If you start to compare yourself with other people, what does the Bible say? He that compares himself to others is unwise. It's an unwise thing to do when you start to compare yourself with others. You start to get yourself into a trap. Humility is not trying to feed that ravenous, that hungry monster that we call ego. Ego is there, it's always grumbling, it always wants to be fed, you know. It always wants to be fed. I saw this picture one time of a, of a, a dog, you know, eating, uh, it had the bowl there in front of it. And uh, had all these Facebook likes, you know, the thumbs up, and somebody just feeding. <laughs> you know, it's like that ego wants to be fed. It wants that self-gratification. It wants that self-affirmation. It wants to know, I'm important. I'm, I'm worth something. But the more you try to feed it, the more it wants. It's never satisfied ego. Humility is not about putting yourself down. But humility is about forgiving others even when they don't deserve it. Humility does not seek vengeance. Humility and love are actually so close in their qualities. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 6 in the love chapter, we see that a passage of scripture and it talks about charity in the, the Old Testament, in the King James Version, sorry. It uses the word charity, 
But I'm going to read from the Bible in basic English, just to keep it basic. And I'm going to replace the word love. See here it says, love is never tired of waiting. Love is kind. Love has no envy. Love has no high opinion of itself. Love has no pride. Love's ways are ever fair. It takes no thought for itself. It is not quickly made angry. Who gets quickly angry in traffic? I don't get angry very often. In traffic? Oh. (laughs) It's not quickly made angry. It takes no account of evil. It doesn't have a ledger going, oh, well, today this person did this to me. I'll write that one down and I'll keep that in my memory bank next time they ask me for something. Hey, bro, can I have, uh, can you spare me 20 bucks? Well, um, let me just go back to my book here and, um, I see here two years ago, two months and three days ago, you uh, said this to me, so no. It takes no account of evil. It takes no pleasure in wrongdoing, but has joy in what is true. Amen? Now we could change that, I believe, the word love there, we can quite easily replace that with humility. And let's read that now by replacing the word love with humility. Humility is never tired of waiting. It's patient. Being humble, having love is about being patient. It's the same. Humility is kind. Man, this world, you know, it's forgotten how good it is to be kind. Sometimes as Christians... We're so worried about being righteous, we forget how to be kind. Just simply being kind to people, amen? Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind. Love is kind. Humility is kind. Humility has no envy. If we're humble, we don't envy others. We're not jealous. We're not, th- we're not worried about what others have. In fact, we're happy when others succeed we're grateful we rejoice in other people's successes we rejoice when other people get something you know buy a house or get married or whatever they do we're happy for them that's the attitude that we should have when we're humble when we have humility we're happy for others we're not envious of others we're not like oh stinking person How come they get all that stuff? God, you mustn't like me as much. Humility's ways are ever fair. It looks to seek fairness, justice. It wants justice. It it wants the right thing to be done. It wants people to be treated fairly. It takes no thought for itself. If we're humble, we don't think of ourselves first. We're not worried so much about our own welfare. We're worried more about the welfare of others. Humility or humble, being humble means not being angry quickly, not getting to wrath within five seconds. I go from naught to 200 in six seconds and I'll get mad. No, we we need to try and you know, like, I, like the Bible says, there's nothing wrong with being angry. You can be angry, but sin not. But we, we shouldn't be so quick to ang- anger. We've got to make sure that we temper our anger, that we, we pace it, that we're angry for a good reason. Otherwise, there's plenty to get angry about, and you'll be angry all the time, and people go, oh, that guy's angry all the time. What kind of Christian is that? You're an angry Christian. That's not good. Like I said, we'll get angry sometimes. There's, there's reasons to be angry. But make sure when you are angry, it's for a good reason. It's for a good reason. Humility takes no account of evil. Humility doesn't sit there keeping score. Humility takes no pleasure in wrongdoing or in sin. 
But humility has joy in what is true. Amen. If we're humble, we love what is true and we despise evil. We don't like it when we see wrong being done to somebody, but we rejoice in that which is true. Jesus is the greatest example of humility that we have. He forgave when he could have destroyed. He chose not his own human will, but the divine will of his Father. He was confident also. He was confident. He knew his purpose. He knew his power. But he never misused his power. Philippians 2 verse 6 to 7 it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. He made himself of no reputation. He also, not no reputation like we said, not a bad reputation, sorry, but no reputation. What people thought in the end was far less important to him than his purpose. You know, Saul of Tarsus was a respected member of the Jewish community. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was there present when they stoned Stephen. He was in the in crowd. He was accepted. It was like he had a good job. He had a good position in society. He was part of the well-respected Pharisees. See, we, as Christians, we look at Pharisees and we think, oh, they're the bad guys of the story. And they are. But to a Jew at the time of Jesus... They were the good guys. They were the guys you respected. They were the guys that you looked up to. They were your religious authority. They were the dominant group within the Sanhedrin, the the council of high priests. And they were sort of like a political slash religious group that sat on the Sanhedrin. And they held so much sway and so much influence. And they were popular. They were popular. People looked up to them and respected the Pharisees. They, they cared about what the Pharisees said. They looked at, to them to be an authority on things that were of religious importance. Yet Saul of Tarsus left that after he had an experience with Jesus Christ. He had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He changed his name to Paul, which means so, small, little. He became humble. He was humbled by his experience. And he sacrificed all that reputation that he had as a Pharisee. He sacrificed his ego, his position in society, his status in society. He sacrificed all of that for a life. With Jesus Christ. He made himself of no reputation. Paul was confident though of this very thing in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing that he that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was confident that Jesus was doing a work in him. He was confident that Jesus was doing something in his life. That's why he could walk away from all that, all those trappings of being a man of status in society within Jewish culture. He could walk away from that and go to a place that was, he didn't know what the end would be. He didn't know, he couldn't, he couldn't be secure in how people would treat him or how he would be seen by the, the members of his own community. But he had to trust in God and be confident, be confident that he that had begun a good work in him would perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When I was a young person, I thought humility was self-deprecation. I thought humility or being humble. I knew, you know, I went to a church when I was sort of 12, 13. I used to go to a church and I knew that I'd go to youth and I'd go to the Sunday services sometimes and they had like a piano accordion thing. That was the music. That was the band. It was this guy with a piano accordion. 
I can't even do the sound, but really interesting. We need, a p- who can play piano accordion? We, we need one up here, man. <laughs> Throw a piano accordion in there. But at that time, I thought that being humble meant putting yourself down. I thought it meant saying words like, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm worth less. When I grew up in my environment, the school I went to, a lot different to today, you know, everything's about overconfidence these days. Everyone's using self-affirmation far too much. But in my day, in my day, just call me old mate. Back in my day, in the environment I grew up in, the school I went to and the peers that I had, being self-confident or especially being arrogant was despised. The worst thing that you could do, the worst thing that you could be accused of in Biron Boys High School in 1989 was loving yourself. Oh, you love yourself. No, don't. If you loved yourself, that's like the worst put down that you could, you could say anything about your mum or whatever. That would just be water off a duck's back. But you're a this, you're a that. Yeah, whatever, mate. And then you love yourself. What? Don't say that, man. Get all paranoid. Do I love myself? Do I, do I spend too much time in the mirror? Like it was all like a big thing, you know. You couldn't, you kind of had to have slightly messy hair because otherwise, you know, if your hair was all neat, who are you, man? You love yourself, man. You couldn't love yourself. It was one of the worst things that you could, you know, you never complimented your mates. Never, ever. And if if compliments came out of your own mouth about yourself, oh, that was the worst, man. If you thought you were good at something, you're probably going to get a beat down. But we've got to understand we need to be confident, amen? We need to understand and be honest about what we're good at, what God has given us strength and ability in, what God is willing to use us in, what talent that we have. And I need to hurry up. The tension between humility and confidence. Confidence without humility is pride. It's arrogance. Our confidence ultimately should be in God. He is the source of anything good that we possess. Any talent, any gift that we have is because of Him, because of the grace that He has given us, because He's allowed us to develop those skills and abilities or to be born with them or to go through the experiences that we've had. Humility, though, without confidence is ineffective. Humility without confidence leads to self-deprecation and depression. Can I have two? We need two of those guys out here. I'll get two guys ready soon. Yeah, we're, yeah just hold up. I don't want you standing for too long. If we could have that picture up. So I'm heading into the final 10 minutes. Where is that picture? Anyone up there? There it is. The average person thinks that he or she is, well, better than average. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we think we're better than average. Oh, you good at this? Yeah, I'm probably a bit better than average. How good a driver do you think you are? Anyone say... I'm rubbish. <laughs> I'm like the worst driver there. No. Most people go, yeah, I'm, I'm better than most of those drivers. We need to, the average person thinks they're just a bit better than average. So do we have a confidence problem or a humility problem? We probably have a bit of both. It turns out that the most incompetent of us also like to overestimate ourselves. The things that we're probably not good at at work, we probably think we're better at than what we actually are. While the ones that are really good at stuff tend to underestimate themselves, underrate themselves. So there's this balance of confidence and humility that we need to somehow sustain. 
the gulf between how good we are at something and how good we think we are at something is often pretty big. The paradox is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. And uh, if we see the next picture, do we have that other picture? We'll see that, you know, depending on where you sit on the scale, how good you think you are and how good you actually are, how good you think you are, and if you're not that good at it, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. But when you, you actually are good at something, but you don't think you're that good, it's called the imposter syndrome. You think you're an imposter. You think you're faking it. I shouldn't really be here. I shouldn't really be doing this. But in fact, you're better than what you think you are. So what's some ways that we might think that we're a little too or we're lacking confidence? So overall, women tend to err towards less, being less confident than men. And men tend to err towards overconfidence. Men, you know, women look in the mirror and they go, oh, you know, they sort of look down on themselves. They don't think they look good enough. Men can be bald, <laughs> overweight, um, you know, sort of not the, not the prettiest thing walking around, but look in the mirror and go, yeah, I look all right. <laughs> I'm a lady killer. And you're not killing any ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to also consider your part in the world psychologist david dunning says that where you fall on the spectrum up there depends on by your part in the world and its culture eastern cultures are more likely to value self-improvement whereas western cultures tend to venerate self-esteem how you think of yourself and some signs you might have low confidence Low confidence manifests itself. You guys are doing really well. Let's give them a hand. They're waiting there with that rope. <laughs> Keep it going, man. Don't get tired. You can do it. You can hold that rope. If you have low confidence, usually it manifests itself in you have a, a long list of things over the years that you wish you had done or tried, but you didn't. You have this long list, of this bucket list of things that you wish you had done or should have done but you didn't do you don't initiate salary negotiations <laughs> not that we do that much here in australia you hesitate at key moments you imagine that whatever you have done whether it is a triumph or a failure is the focus of everyone else's attention think about that does anyone ever fall into that category you, you think anything you've ever done whether you succeeded or not or you failed, that you think the whole world was looking at it and cared. <laughs> when most of the time, they're not, they just think, oh, yeah, you did well, that was good. And they get on with it. They're more worried about their own problems than what, whether how good you were at, I don't know, riding a bike. Some signs you might be overconfident, though, is you work your accomplishments into your conversations. You know, so you're just having a chit-chat there with someone and then you're like, and I'm guilty of this. Let me tell you about what I did today. Let me tell you about something great I did. Don't uh, those that are overconfident don't tend to focus on what they don't know or should seek to learn. Those that are overconfident express no curiosity with the people they're interacting with. You know... Overconfident people, they don't tend to talk about others, which is, can be good because they're too busy talking about themselves. <laughs> they, um, they enter interac interactions mostly for reasons of self-interest. How, how can this conversation I'm having with someone benefit me? If I have a relationship or a friendship with someone, how can that benefit me? How can that propel my professional life or you know get me something in this world we need to have we need to love people for no reason we need to love people just because christ loved us amen because it's a command we don't have to have all these ulterior motives even if it is you know sometimes we're like oh, i'll talk to this person at work because i might be able to win them to god that's a good motive 
But if that's your only motive, you need to love them whether they come to God or not. Amen? It's interesting how how we treat overconfidence could also manifest in how we treat people that serve us in a restaurant, your Uber driver, and how you treat them different to those in your professional life. If you're not nice or not considerate to those that serve you because they have to, well, that could be an overconfidence problem. If you lack humility or lack confidence, it's always down to ego. It's always down to how you think of yourself and being too concerned with what others think and thinking too highly or too lowly of oneself. You need to have a balance of humility and confidence. You need to have a balance of humility and confidence. If you're humble, sorry, you're humble, aren't you? You're confident. (laughs) Drop it. If you're humble but you don't have confidence, you don't have the tension you need. You don't have that balance that you need. Pick it up, please, Sakai. Well done. If you're confident but you don't have humility, then you're, you're just arrogant. You need to have that tension. Amen. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. Matthew 21, 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him into powder. Better to fall on the rock, amen, than to have the rock fall on you. Matthew 20, verse 16. So, so the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. The, another paradox, another dichotomy. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. You must humble yourself like a little child. You know, children, they're not arrogant usually. But they'll tell you if they're good at something. They did a painting or whatever. Oh, look, Daddy. Look at this painting I did. They're showing you because they're, they're happy with what they did. But not because they're arrogant. They know what they're good at. Although we might look at the painting and go, well, you know, that um, there's only three fingers on that hand. But they think that's the best thing they've ever done. They're really happy with what they've done. And they've got no arrogance in what they're saying. We need to be like a child, amen? Amen. Thy servant will go and fight. David said he will go and fight. He will go and fight. We are the ones that need to take that step of faith. Without confidence, your confidence, Joe? Thank you. Without confidence, you cannot move forward. Just like the man who had one talent in Matthew 25, verse 24 to 25. He had false humility. It says that, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast it in thine. It's like, yeah, look, I didn't lose it. <laughs> I've still got the talent. I'll just give it back to you. That's okay, isn't it? I'm humble. I'm not very good at things. So I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to take a risk. We might look at this guy and think, well, you know, he's humble. But no, he, he didn't think he was good enough to do anything with what he was given. He was given it for a reason and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He went and hid it and yet he was called a useless servant. He was ineffective and when we have humility without confidence, we're ineffective. We need to have humility with confidence to Kai. Thank you. You must have confidence in yourself but even more so you need to have confidence in God. Otherwise, you'll think you're useless, worthless. You have no worth. But Jesus said we are worth way more 
than the sparrows to God. Amen? It's an insult to God to say that you can't use or be used what God has given you. Amen? It's an insult. It's almost like the guy that had that one talent, he was saying, what am I meant to do with this? What am I meant to do with this, Master? Give me one talent. You rip me off. You might just have one little thing that you can do. Amen? But do it. Do it with all your might. Do it with all confidence in God. Do it unto the glory of God. Whatever you can do, do it unto the glory of God. Use it for His kingdom's sake. Whatever we do can be enhanced by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? David knew he was a good shot. If we could all be upstanding, guys, you've done a great job. Let's give him a hand. David knew he was a good shot. He knew that when he picked up those five stones, that's all he needed was five stones. One of those five stones was going to crack Goliath's head. His confidence was in God, but he too was confident. Goliath came to him with the sword and the shield, but David came to Goliath in the name of the Lord. He didn't say, oh, I'm not big enough. I'm not the same height. This is a mismatch. This battle ain't fair. There's no way I can win because he's a giant and I'm a youth. I'm a ranger teenager. You know, David was a ranger. Said he was ruddy. He either had rosy cheeks or red hair. I like to think of him as with red hair. He's this ranger guy. Up against the giant. He thought, well, God has given me an ability to shoot these slingshots. He was thinking, I grew up as a shepherd boy on the hillsides of Judea. I know how good a shot I am. I'm not going to have false humility and think that I have nothing to offer. He thought, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to have a shot. I'm going to give it a go. He was confident in his God-given abilities. He had practiced that skill. He knew he was good enough. Everyone else was standing around sulking, scared, but he knew there was a cause. David was not willing to sit around any longer and allow this uncircumcised Philistine to mock his nation and to mock his God any longer. He knew God helped him to kill a lion and a bear. He knew God was his source of strength, but he knew because of him he could do it. He would go. He would go. As a servant, as a servant. Notice he said to Saul, your servant. He, made, he was humble. He put himself under authority. Being humble means to be able to put yourself under someone else's authority. To be able to have a pastor in your life or a leader in your life who's able to tell you where you're going wrong. And you listen. You're able to take criticism. What do they say? Feedback is the breakfast of champions. <laughs> if you're not willing to take criticism, feedback, re, you know, reproof, correction, then you're going to be living a pretty rough life. If you're unable to listen to those who have authority over you and to be able to place yourself under authority, then you leave yourself in a really dangerous situation. You need to have mentors in your life. You need to have people into your life. Not anyone, but people that God has put in your life to be able to speak into your life and tell you where you're going wrong. Smooth out the rough edges. Make sure that you're on the right track. Somebody you can bounce your thoughts and ideas off. Somebody who's able to say, hey, you need to fix this up. Philippians 4.13, we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. When the apostles prayed for the sick, they didn't sit there begging God. They didn't say, silver and gold, have I none? God, please, please heal. No, they were given. They were given authority and power. We are given authority and power to be able to say to others, get up, take your mat and walk. 
be healed. Evil spirits be gone, be delivered. We're given it in the name of Jesus. We're given that authority in the name of Jesus. God has given you power through the Holy Ghost. God has given you His name. It's up to us. Do you lack confidence or do you lack humility? Are you a little overconfident thinking, yeah, I'm all that in a bag of chips? Or are you humble but not really? You just look down on yourself. Do you lack confidence or do you lack humility this morning? Do you think you're not good enough? Do you think you have nothing to offer? Whatever situation you find yourself in, come spend some time with God this morning. Are you confident in what God can do in your life if you're able to offer your life as a sacrifice unto God? Are you confident in what God can do through you and in you? If you've never given your life to God, come, I implore you, give your life to Jesus. See what He can do in your life. See He how He can take the broken pieces of your life and make something beautiful. See how He can take those ashes and turn them into something beautiful. Amen. Come and humble yourself. Surrender your life to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. If you've never repented of your sins, you need to turn your life around and live for Him. Ask God to forgive you of all your sins, everything that you've done wrong in your life and ask Him to help you to live for Him and ask Him to come into your life. God can fill you with His Holy Spirit and give you power, give you power to become a witness, to become a son or daughter of God. And when God fills you with His Spirit, you'll know because you'll begin to speak in another language that you've never spoken in before. If you've repented of your sins, you can be buried with Christ in baptism. As the book of Romans chapter 6 says, buried with Christ in baptism. Have your sins washed away, remitted. Hallelujah. Come and spend some time with the Lord this morning.